0: This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. Thank you for being here. What a wonderful morning it's already been. If you would please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're continuing our 1 Peter series, Hope in Exile. And although we have just begun this series and began studying 1 Peter, it's already been a tremendous blessing to us as a church. So I am excited for us to continue that this morning as we get to look at and hear from God's Word. So please join me now as I have the privilege to read God's Word to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that, you have, now, that have now been announced to you, Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen. One characteristic trait or skill that you will find among good writers is that they do not assume that their readers will always remember the plot of the story. They assume that the reader will eventually forget. They assume that the reader will eventually, in the midst of all the character development, the subplots, that they will at some point need to be reminded of what is going on in the story. They need to be reminded, what is this all about? They they seek to, to gently, in unique and creative ways, bring the reader back to what is the main thing. What is the main story? What is the main plot? What is going on in this book? It helps ground the reader in the story. It orients the reader to where they are. It reminds the reader of where they have been, where they currently are, and where they are going. And so good writers realize this. They realize that their readers need this. Well, The Bible is the world's greatest story ever told. It is the greatest story ever written. And being the greatest story ever written, throughout it, there are plot summaries throughout. There are these moments throughout Scripture where the writers will hold our hands as the readers and remind us, what is this all about? It will remind us of what is going on. It will remind us of where we are and why does it matter? When the writers do this, what it does is that it pulls us out of our immediate circumstance and it gives us the big picture. It gives us the big helicopter view of what God is doing. It helps us locate our story, ourselves in God's story. And as we remember where we are in God's story, it helps us give a foundation to stand on. Like we sung this morning, we have a firm foundation. But there's times, and I'm sure you can relate to this, that we forget that. We forget that we have a firm foundation to stand on. We need to be reoriented to this foundation. Brothers, I don't know if you feel this way, and sisters, but when I come in on a Sunday morning, I can have tunnel vision. I can just be fixated on what's happened the day before, the night before, or even that morning. You may have come in and and you may have had a conflict or you may have just not slept well or, or maybe that one of your favorite teams last night lost. There could be so many things or maybe everything going on in our culture is just assaulting your mind and you're feeling distracted. You just get lost in it. Well, God, through his infinite wisdom, is the best writer. He's the best storyteller that we've ever seen. And what he does in his word is that he pulls us back. And he reminds us of what is most important. And that is exactly what Peter is doing this morning. He wants us to take a step back and consider how awesome, how great, how amazing salvation is. How amazing God's salvation is. Notice in verse 10 what Peter says. He says concerning this salvation. Now you may be wondering what salvation is Peter referring to? Well, if you look back at chapter 1, at verse 9, just the verse prior, it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so this is the salvation that we receive through trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It's the salvation that began in eternity past, as Peter reminded us at the outset of this letter. We're not just exiles, but we're elect exiles. We've been chosen by God. We've been chosen by him for a salvation. We've been born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance that is being kept for us, that even in the midst of trials and suffering, we can rejoice. God is working it all out for our good. We can trust him. So why? Why does Peter keep hitting this over and over again? Well, here's why. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have gratitude. He wants us to feel this sense of privilege. And when we have this deep gratitude, when we have this sense of privilege from God, then we will not be rocked by anything. We can trust God. When difficult times come, we trust in our Savior. We trust in our God. I had a professor described the gospel this way and it's just stayed with me. He said, The gospel is like the ocean. It's shallow enough at the edge that even children can play and immerse themselves in it, but so deep in some parts that no person has ever seen its depth. Well, what, what Peter wants us to do this morning, what God wants us to do this morning, he wants us to swim in the gospel. He wants us to swim in the ocean of salvation. He wants us to wade once again into the waters of what he has done and sending his own son to rescue us. As Bill pointed out last week, these first 12 verses, these first 12 verses that Peter writes to a people who are in suffering, who are in trials, who are confused, there's not one command in these first 12 verses. The one thing that Peter wants his readers to do is to remember and be amazed. He wants them to swim in the gospel. He wants them to remember what God Has done for them. And so this morning, if I could capture what Peter wants us to do in these few verses that we have, this is what I would say. I would say he wants us to be amazed at the greatness of our salvation. Be amazed at the greatness of our salvation. And he gives us four reasons. Peter gives us four reasons this morning as to why we should be amazed at God's great salvation. First, the prophets searched for it. Do you know where you came from? Do you know your lineage? It's amazing to think about family history. It's amazing to look back and think about where it all began. Uh, my grandfather, he did this, and he did it before there was Ancestry.com, where you can just pay $90, and they tell you all about it. He, he, he would sit down, and he would have papers and pictures and boxes of just history, and, and, and To my shame, and I wish I would have listened closer, but he would just talk about this. He would just go on and on about his relatives from generations upon generations, and he had such great care. He had such great respect. He felt such a love for his family. He was proud to be a part of that family because he saw the history of it. Me, being a young teenager, didn't appreciate that. Well, having grown up now and having a family of my own, I appreciate that. It matters where we come from. It matters to look back and think about where did all this start? Who's part of this story? Who's part of this family that I'm a part of? And remember, Peter is writing to younger Christians, to Gentile Christians and Jewish, but, but he's writing to a people who may not appreciate where they've come from. They may miss their line, their family line. And we this morning, we may not appreciate our family line. And so Peter, what he wants to do is he wants to remind us, remember where you've come from. So he begins, he traces it back to the prophets. Look again at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So, so here is what Peter is saying. The prophets, as they very accurately and with specificity predicted exactly how God would provide the salvation that you and I so desperately needed, those prophets were guided by none other than the Spirit of Christ. By the Spirit of Christ, also known as the Holy Spirit. Those prophets were guided by the Holy Spirit, whose main role in the Old Testament, the prophets were the prediction of the coming of Christ. These men were raised up by God. They were directed to write such an incredible, unbelievable, awesome account of redemption. And it's amazing that at times they didn't even fully grasp or understand what they were writing. They didn't even understand what they were writing. Think about this. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet is writing this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes, we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What rich truth, what amazing truth that the prophet Isaiah is writing and that he's thinking about, yet he doesn't fully understand what he is even writing or saying. He doesn't know. Who would have thought with Isaiah that God's answer to the human dilemma of our sin would not be a set of instructions. It would not be a set of techniques. It would not be th- a theology. No, it would not even be a philosophy, but it would be himself. It would be himself. What God gave us was himself. And Jesus came. It's amazing for us to think about. He left the glories of eternity. Almighty, holy God, creator, sovereign, willing to subject himself to the hardships of life and a fallen world. And not only subject himself to that, but willing to die in order that the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve for our sin would be satisfied. And so we could be accepted as the children of God. These are the sufferings that they are writing about. These are the sufferings that they wrote about concerning the Christ, the one who would come. Yet they didn't even fully understand it. And then it wasn't only the sufferings of the Messiah, but it was also the subsequent glories. And I love to think about, it's not only that Jesus died, but he's alive. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He he has sent the Spirit to be with us today. And now what you see is that the gospel is going forth in power. So that even this morning we have baptisms, celebrating that God is at work. Peter is looking at Isaiah, and what he's saying is that Isaiah, yes, he wrote this, but behind him was the Spirit of Christ. Isaiah knew more than he even realized, not because Isaiah is such a smart guy. Jeremiah is not such a smart guy. Ezekiel is not such a smart guy. Daniel is not such a smart guy. No, it's because these men were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why we call the Bible, this book, yes, it has 66 books written by 40 different authors, but behind it is one author. We're able to call it the Word of God. We're able to call it God's holy, inerrant, inspired Word. This is a living Word that we trust. Yes, that Isaiah wrote those words, but behind him he was carried along by the Holy Spirit Peter himself is being carried along, led by the Spirit as he, write his, as he writes his letter to us. And they're carried along, they're filled and led by the Spirit in such a way that what they wrote was God's. So when we read the Bible, what we hear is God speaking. That's what we hear, is God speaking to us. And so that should, that encourages me. That helps me to want to read my Bible. That helps me to want to know this book. That helps me to want to learn about where have I come from. So please, Christian, read the Old Testament. Learn about the Old Testament. Look, God was at work in significant ways. Even in Leviticus. Even in Leviticus, you can see how God is working. You can hear God speaking even in Leviticus. God is showing us, and Peter is highlighting to this church who is struggling and tempted that God keeps his promises. Why does it cover some 2,000 years of history? Why is the Bible such a long book? Well, God's promises are fulfilled at different times and for different reasons. But it's all according to his perfect will. We have to remember that waiting on God does not mean that God has not done something. We have to remember that. That just because we are waiting, it does not mean that God is not doing. Oh, we have to remember that. But, the, but, but what I love to see is what the prophets did. They did do something. So that, what did they do? Well, they searched, right? Peter says is that what they did is they began to search and inquire. So what did they search? What did they inquire of? Where did they go? Well, they went to the writings that they have from the Old Testament. They would read Psalms from David. They would read the writings of Moses. They would consider things that they themselves have written. They were reading God's Word. They were reading the things that have been handed to them. They were searching and inquiring. They were wondering, who is this one that is to come? The word inquired that Peter uses here What it would refer to was searching a tent, a house, a country. You're looking for a person or a thing. So these guys aren't just wandering around aimlessly. They're looking for what has been given to them. They're looking for this one, this Messiah, this promised one that's going to come. And he's going to save the people. They don't know what that means, but they have these words from God that they can look to and they can trust and they know that are true. And so they're going to study them. They're going to to go to them and they're going to pour themselves over them, searching to know this God more. should inspire us. I want to read the Bible that way. It was hard work. It was hard work. Incredibly hard work. Listen to these words from the prophet Daniel. He says in Daniel seven fifteen, My spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel ten fifteen through 17, When he had spoken to me, when he, God, had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. And I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Such was the reward for the prophets. We think that they were just put in some induced coma and they just sat there and they were just kind of taken to this another level. No. The prophets, they were given these grand visions, yet they still wrestled in their souls. They still were being spoken to by a holy and marvelous God. Here is some of the the rewards of the prophets. They were largely rejected in their own day. They served another time. They couldn't understand salvation as clearly as they desired. At times, they had more questions than answers. They were often physically impaired due to the nature of their work. And so what should this do? Well, this should humble us. This should humble us. Peter, what he wants his first readers, he wants them to see As they consider fresh consideration of salvation's past glories, as they look and see what the prophets did and what they received, the extent that God went into securing their salvation was born, it was with a cost. It was not only to himself, not only to his son, but it cost the prophets as well. It should humble us too as we look at our family line, as we look at all that has transpired for us until we are at where we are today, it should humble us. And what's even more humbling is that the prophets eventually, as they're looking for this Messiah, as they're studying and pouring themselves over the Scriptures, there comes a moment where they realize, wow, these prophecies and these promises, they're not meant for me. I'm not going to see the fulfillment of this in my lifetime." But for them, what they did is that they saw it was for future generations. It was for those who would come after them. It was for Peter. It was for the churches in these cities. It was for us this morning that we have these prophecies and words from the prophet. I'm such a wimp when I look back at history. You just, you just realize you're such a wimp, Jake. Just such a wimp. Everything that, they go, everything that people before us has gone, has gone through. I mean, I, just, I am so grateful for things that have been invented. I'm so grateful for air conditioning. I'm so grateful for prescription medication. I'm so grateful for indoor plumbing. I'm so grateful for hospitals. One of my children recently had stitches. I, I took them to the hospital, and they had this amazing gel that they just put on the cut, and it's numb. I haven't lived that long, but they didn't have that around when I lived, and I was like, where was that? I would have loved that. I got stitches all the time. I needed the numbing gel. I got a shot. You just It's humbling, isn't it? You just look back. I haven't lived that long, but when you study history, it's an education. I think that's partly why we're hesitant to study it. But there is so much that we can learn. Peter wants us this morning. He wants us to appreciate where we've come from. And now, not only has, does he transition from where we've come from, but now he transitions from to the preachers, to those who has brought this good news to us, at least to our second point. It is proclaimed today, this salvation, it is, praying, it is proclaimed today as good news. Look at 1 Peter 12 again. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So don't don't miss this transition, okay? This is important for us to see. What was once prophecy and promise has now been brought to us as good news. Don't miss that. That which was promised is now good news. Why is that a big transition? Well, it means that it's happened. It means that what we hear today is not just a promise, but it's something that has actually happened. It is something that has happened in time. It is something that we can hear about and know that has been seen, that is being declared to us. What a transition. That which the prophets searched for, inquired about, and so longed to see but never saw, we today have this good news Proclaim to us. Praise God. And and I don't want to miss this. It's not just good news. It's not just good news. Look at verse 10 again. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace. About the grace that was to be yours. So this is not just good news. This is good news of grace. This is good news Of grace. This is not good news of of just any type of good news of here, here's a few tips or advice for you. No, it's good news of grace. Listen to Brian Chappell. He says, Grace is not some abstract doctrine or theological construct. Grace comes as Christ does. Grace is as personal as He is. In fact, Christ is grace. Christ is grace. The unmerited favor of God is what Jesus is about but it's also who He is. We should thus see grace as a personal action by a personal God who saved us from our helpless condition out of pure love. This is the good news. This is the good news that has come to us. It's the good news of what what God has done that we need so desperately to hear. Isn't it good news that the gospel comes to us? It It doesn't come asking something of you. That's not the first thing the gospel does. No, it comes in the form of grace. It comes in the form of a gift. It comes as a gift that is handed to you. So Jesus comes and what he does is he says, I'm going to do what you could never do. I'm going to do it all for you. I'm going to come and I'm going to be born. And I'm going to live this not only sinless life, I'm going to live this righteous life. And I'm going to suffer and die the judgment that you deserve. And I'm going to take on all the judgment for your sin. And then I'm going to die. And then three days I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to take on human flesh. I'm going to be your representative. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to take this on. And then I'm going to go be with my heavenly Father. And I'm going to be your mediator. So I'm going to bring you back together with the God who created you. With my heavenly Father, whom whom I love, whom I love from eternity. I'm going to bring you back to Him. And this, this good gift, is what I have the privilege of offering you. What good news is that? This gospel, it has turned the world upside down. Hasn't it? It has turned the world upside down. The gospel has outlived every empire. If you were to think about, go back to the time of Peter. Think about, he's with Jesus. He is a carpenter. He is not that impressive. He is saying some interesting, some radical, some provocative things. He's claiming to be God, the Savior, the Messiah. He's walking around with this little motley crew of disciples who are unimpressive themselves and who are fighting and who who just who aren't impressive to look at think about this think about this who and then what you look at is the Roman Empire who's going to out who's going to be who are we going to be talking about today if you were there living in that time who would you vote on to still be around today if i lived during that time i would vote on the roman empire but not peter peter put all his chips with jesus he said i'm following this one I'm following this one, this, this fisherman from Nazareth. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live for him. Now, now did Peter struggle along the way in doubt? Yes, but he said, I'm with him. This is, this is the one that I'm going to follow. This is the one that I'm going to see. This is the one that I'm going to be all about, that I'm going to treasure, that I'm going to build my life around. I'm following this Messiah. And it's still the good news that we're talking about today. This is what we're talking about today. The Roman Empire is history. Jesus, he, he is still relevant. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can trust him. It's good news. This good news can be trusted. In a few weeks, we'll have the joy of having our first presidential debate. And, and uh, one thing that will happen during this debate is there will be fact-checking. People will be, there will be newspapers and organizations that will say this statement was true, this statement was false, this claim was true, this claim was false, and there are organizations who still to this day you can go, I think it's like factcheck.org, and their sole purpose is to take everything that is said from a political perspective and say if it's true or not. The truth matters, we care about that. Well, here, here... and in a day and age where we talk a lot about fake news, good news really matters. Real news really matters. And, and what I love about the gospel, what I love about the Bible, is that it has been placed under intense scrutiny. It, it, this isn't some new news that we're talking about. This is age-old news. You want to you see where the gospel was first announced? Well, open your Bible, go to Genesis 3, go to verse 15, and what you will see is that God made a promise. From the very outset, he made a promise that one's coming whose heel will be bruised, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. And from that time in the Bible throughout up until now and into glory, what we have seen is that God has been faithful to his promises, that he is trustworthy, that the gospel is true, that it's true. It has stood the test of time. It has been under intense scrutiny. God has been faithful. This is not something that we have made as men and women. This is something that has come to us as grace, as a gift. Let's receive it that way. It's the best news. So what does that mean for us? Well, please, let's not take this for granted. Here again, I love, this is what I love about Peter. Peter has not lost the wonder of being a Christian. I just love that about Peter. Peter's like, okay, you're suffering and you're struggling and you need faith. Well, here's what I do. Here's what's on my mind. Here's what I love to talk about. Here's what I love to think about. I love to think about this good news. I love to think about what Christ has done. Let me tell you, let me remind you about this salvation. And then remember, Peter, he talks about those who came in verse 12, who came and preached this good news to them. There were those who proclaimed this gospel. The gospel is proclaimed through suffering and sharing during the church age. This led me to think about, can you think of that person who shared the gospel with you? Can you remember when that person who came to you and told you about Jesus Christ? Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend, a coworker, a relative. Maybe somebody you previously, unknown to you, they just walked up to you and started talking to you about Christ. What an amazing thing. Isn't it amazing the company of names that we could now recite? Oh, wouldn't it be beautiful? We just all start at once saying, here's, here's who shared the gospel with me. Here's who shared the gospel with me. Here's who shared the gospel with me. But, but, but here is where we would have to pull it all back together. Here's where we would have to come back to. It wasn't just this one person, these different people, but there was one person who was there for all of it. It was the Holy Spirit. God himself was in every conversation speaking and preaching and applying and softening your heart to receive the gospel. It was God's spirit. He was proclaiming. So as you hear the gospel this morning, what what, what God is doing is that through the spirit is that he is proclaiming this to you. He is giving you ears to hear. He is softening your heart so that you believe the truths of it, to see the amazingness of it. And so not only should that humble us and, and give us deep appreciation for those who proclaim the gospel, but it should give us great boldness to proclaim this gospel. That when we proclaim the gospel, it's not about the eloquence of our words. It's not about the, the, the ingenuity of our arguments. No, it's about the power of God through the Spirit working in people's hearts. We can proclaim the gospel. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says that, that somebody may be able to preach the gospel better than me, but no one can preach a better gospel. No one. We can proclaim this gospel. We have this message of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit that is, that is in us and with us. And as we go out, the Spirit is with us and He is working. And so as we read these outreach books, what I hope is that it stirs in us a desire, an anticipation, a hope that it would open our eyes. Lord, where can I be sharing the gospel? Where can I have the privilege and the joy of sharing Christ with someone else. Peter then adds one more group for us to consider. He wants us to look at the angels. At the very the, this the small phrase that he puts at the end, he says, Angels, our third point, angels long to observe it. What's amazing about angels is that they have stood from the very outset and they've seen all of history play out. They've seen everything. They've seen history happen. What's amazing is that they have seen God's outworking of how he's going to redeem this people. They've seen it happening. They're in the presence of God. They're seeing their eternal beings. They love to be with God. But then, and they also participate. So God will send them to do things, to accomplish things for him. And so they're not only watching, but at times they get to go and participate So remember, an angel comes to Mary. You see that in the Garden of Eden, there's an angel that, there's a cherubim that guards the entrance to Eden as Adam and Eve leave. There was an angelic choir at the birth of Christ. At times, it feels that angels are more interested in God than we are. They're fixed on God. They love God. I mean, can you imagine anything more they would be fixed on than the gospel? They've seen this playing out their whole life. They've seen the gospel. They've seen God working in redemptive history. They've seen God, the promises. They've seen the people. They've seen the people of Israel rescued from Egypt. They've seen all these things happening. But what's amazing is that that's what they've been doing. They've been watching, they've been seeing it, but all this wasn't for them. They've been observers. They haven't been part of what God was doing in this world. And so there is this longing that they have that they want to, if only they could experience what they've seen played out and what God's doing in the world. They've seen it. They love, they love what's happening. They love seeing, but they, they, they don't understand what it means to sin against God and then for God to enter in and to, and to bring you back. They've always been with God. They, they don't understand. How can God, who is holy, they know God, they've seen Him. How can He love people who hate Him? How can the, He forgive people who, are, who just seem unforgivable, who seem disinterested? They see this playing out and they're just like, how does this work? How does this work? One, thing, one way that um, illustration, image that the New Testament calls the church is the bride of Christ. If you've ever been at a wedding, one of the highlights is seeing the bride enter to make her way to the groom. You marvel at her beauty, the joy and love for the groom. Well, we are the bride of Christ. We have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are united to Christ by faith and we are headed to him to glory. And what happens is that the angels love to see this happen again and again. Luke 15, 10 says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the heavenly host, as they, I don't know how this works, but they are praising and singing to God. But when one sinner repents of their sins and goes to Christ, they, they, they see and they know and they celebrate. They celebrate. This is a cosmic scale of what God is doing. There are angels. This morning, I believe there are angels that have celebrated seeing baptisms. I believe that the heavenly host loves when the people of God gather because when the people of God gather, the gospel goes forth. What they see is that when the people of God come, you may be here this morning and not know Christ. You you may be here this morning and and God wants to offer you this gospel, this message of salvation. If you are here this morning and you want to repent and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, we invite you to do that. It's a gift. You can sit right there in your seat. You you just go to the Lord and he will forgive you. And we will rejoice. The heavenly host will rejoice. And all eyes will be on God, because it is what He has done, and He is our gracious and heavenly Father. So let's—I I, want us—let's marvel like at salvation, like the angels do. Let's let's not let's not get sick and tired of this salvation that God has given us. Let's continue to think about and marvel at what God at, at what God has done in saving us. Fourth and final point: God was behind it all. I just love to think about this. God was behind all of this. Do you understand? We need to understand what we've been given. The sovereign God was harnessing the forces of nature. He was controlling the events of all human history. He was Lord over every situation, every location, every circumstance for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Nothing has happened outside of his will. All of it was controlled by him so that at a particular point in time, Jesus would come. God's behind all of it. He's behind all of it. What I love is just that in these small verses, the Holy Spirit is just popping up everywhere. It's just the Holy Spirit is at work. He's working in the Old Testament. He's working now in the New Testament. He he is working to fulfill God's purposes. He is directing our attentions to Christ. He wants us to see Christ. His job is like, I want these people to know Christ. I want these people to trust Christ. I want these people to love Christ. It's one thing to read the recipe for a chocolate cake. You see all the ingredients come together. You think about the proper baking temperature. You can hear about the moistness of the cake, the chocolatey flavor. The need to eat it with a big scoop of vanilla bean ice cream from Mayfield's. It's one thing to read the recipe. It's another thing to taste it and enjoy it. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit turns the recipe of Christ's individual love for you into actual taste. It's one thing to grow up hearing the gospel. It's one thing to grow up hearing about Jesus. It's, I, I, you know, You can sit and share everything there is under the sun about Jesus and still not knowing, still not experiencing. And so I believe the Holy Spirit's with us this morning. He's been working in us. And the Spirit wants to give us a taste of Jesus. The Spirit wants to come and, and, and take all these things that you've been hearing and, and put them into your heart and give you taste buds to taste and see that the Lord is good, that the gospel is the good news of salvation, that forgiveness of sins is real, that this gospel, this Bible, all these things are true. He wants to open your eyes to really realize that you've been created by God and for God. And that God has harnessed all these things. I don't think you're here by circumstance to see baptisms, to to hear this message. I think you're here this morning because God, he wants to offer you this salvation. Because of his great love for you. He wants to offer you. He wants to call you. And for us who may be wondering and questioning, what is God doing in my life? As I look at all of history and as I look at my current life and our current state of affairs, I have great confidence that God's going to be at work. That his perfect and good will will be accomplished. I love what Abraham Kuyper, he said this. He said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign overall, does not cry, mine. What I love about that is that I can say that Jesus says that about me. I am Jesus's. I want to celebrate that. I want to know that. I want to experience that peace. So I want to I be amazed and filled with wonder at God's great salvation. I want at times, I want this week to take a step back when I have tunnel vision, my heart's filled with anxiety, and I'm I'm wrestling in my soul. I want to take a step back, and I'll remember the big picture. I want to remember my position. I want to remember what God has done for me, and I want to rejoice. And I want to smile, and I want to tell other people about it. And I want to enter into this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad in it. Because God has done great things. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are are good and gracious, God. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our lives, Lord. I pray this morning that you would do a work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and fill us afresh Fill us afresh with wonder. Fill us afresh with fresh love for you. I pray for anyone here who is not a Christian, on the live stream who is not a Christian, they are hearing these words. I pray you would do a work in their hearts. Draw them to you by faith, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. We trust you. You are good. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Amen.